Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I have Nick and Angela from nerdbots.net on the show. And their business makes robots out of antique pieces of scrap, maybe you used to find around in your house uh, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so the inspiration to get them on the show came from the word nostalgia. And for example, some of you who are maybe in your late 20s, early 30s, you know, on the internet in the early days, you would know what this sound is. And if you don't, it's okay. Maybe someday you'll have someone explain to you how everything worked back then. So you can check out the website at nerdbots.net and hope you enjoy this. Well, thanks so much for your time. So I found you guys on the Shopify blog, but I guess you guys have been in business for like a couple of years too, right? Yeah, been in business about uh, seven, uh, not seven years, uh, about five years now, five I guess. Years, yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. So why don't we start from the top then? How did you guys get started and what's the story behind it? We got started because I really just wanted one for my desk at work. And so it was kind of a one-time thing. We just went out on whim found a bunch of parts and made one. And it was just gonna be a, you know, a one-off just for my desk, but we loved it. And we got so many good reactions from it that we just continued to keep making them. The impression I get when I first see it is kind of like a cross between Wally and R2-D2. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we get a lot of people who um, uh, relate to them in one fashion or another. And a lot of people do reference Wally or or Star Wars, or the Jetsons. Yeah, the Jetsons, or it just is a, a piece that they've, you know, that their grandparents had or their parents had that sort of draws them in and makes them feel like they know this piece and they know, you know, the background behind it, and that gets them involved, and uh, that always helps. All right. And so, since we're doing this via audio, so for those who haven't seen a picture of the robots, can you kind of give a description of what they're like? Yeah, they're um, antique uh, found sculptures. We find have very human qualities. So <laughs> you might think of an old kitchen canister that, that says sugar on it, but we see that as like a torso. And then um, uh, you'd envision a, a small, you know, maybe alarm clock uh, that you'd see in your, in your grandparents' house. And we envision that as a very unique head or arms or legs through other parts. But they're uh, found sculpture art that just seem to draw people in. Yeah, and I see there's parts like old microscopes, kind of these yeah. pressure gauges, all this stuff that's pieced together. Right. All right and, and so what, what was the first robot made out of? Do you guys remember? Uh, we used a radio. We went to a thrift store. We found a radio and a Polaroid camera for the head. And then we went to a hardware store and got like some pipes and some different things that we could use for the arms and legs. And you guys just kind of soldiered it together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so when did you guys realize this was something that could turn into like a small business? When was the kind of point 
or inflection point? Well, we had um, started in our basement in our home back in 2007, had friends over and family, and they were so interested and so intrigued by what these things were and what they were made out of. Um, and we had people ask, can, we, can you build us one? And so we went ahead and, and did that for a couple of friends and family for birthday gifts and um, started to really get a, a internal following, if you will. <laughs> um, but then the thing that really sort of hit was when we were selling our home, the people that would come and, and view our home to purchase, they, they were more interested in the robots. <laughs> and they referenced the, the robot house whenever they would, you know, they'd want to see it again. And they'd want to see it again for the robots. Um, <laughs> And so that sort of got us to the point where we were just getting excited about it and you know, passionate, you know, was something that we were already there. And so it just sort of put those two together and, and led us down this road. I see. And so how many robots have you guys sold since you guys started? I think we are at over 300 now. Wow. Awesome. And so I see each robot has their own name, like Flamingo, Preamplifier, Tommy. How do you guys decide on this? Every once in a while, it'll be the piece. One of the pieces that we use will have the name on it. So like Flamingo is actually a Flamingo Thermos. Other times, Angela just comes up with some uh, unique names, you know, old school, if you will, or uh, very vintage names. Yeah, just something that seems to fit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, most of the time they do name themselves just based on a brand or something that's already on the, the vintage piece that we use. Yeah, and so these vintage pieces, are they really hard to find in this day and age? They become more and more available, it seems. We seem to get an idea of where to find it and we, we hunt them down. And Yeah, we never have trouble. We love, that's like our favorite thing to do on the weekends is to go park shopping and look for really cool old stuff. So we have our, our favorite places we like to go and we always come back with way more than we set out for. And, and when you guys are looking for parts, do you have an idea of the robot first or do you look at the part and then you build off a, a robot idea? We usually identify, I would say the torso, so the main piece that we want to work around and really don't go out with a preconceived notion of what we want to buy or what we're buying for. So whenever we go, we really don't have any limits of we need to find this or we need to find this. It's really just whatever we find, if it ends up coming back to our studio and, and realizing, okay, this is this looks good and this is going to work, then that's just sort of our hodgepodge of a process, <laughs> I guess. We keep our studio organized kind of by like the head department and the bodies and then we have all the arms and legs together. We have a lot to choose from each time we get ready to start a new piece. We you know, usually start with like a body or something and kind of walk around and figure out what looks good with it. <laughs> I see. And so how long does it take to build a robot? It takes us a, probably two to three hours once we have all of the parts in our possession. Sometimes we get it started and we just don't seem to have the right arms or the right legs. So we'll wait a while and wait till the right ones kind of come to us. <laughs> We're usually working on several at once. The longest part of the process, I, I do think, is searching out the parts. Yeah. So once we have everything and once everything is sort of there, then that's when we can really get going. And so how big are these robots? I can't really tell by the picture. They range anywhere from, I would say, 10 to 12 inches tall to 36. Gosh, I don't know what our tallest is. Yeah, probably about 36. Probably 36 or, or three feet tall. And they sh on the website, they'll have their uh, dimensions. But again, it's I'm sure it's tough to sort of visualize oh, okay. a 36 inch tall and <laughs> right. 12 inches tall. Yeah, okay. And so uh, how did you guys decide on the pricing of these robots? Because I see they're quite, they're about like what, $200 or plus or so? Kind of ranges. It's 
kind of on a robot by robot basis. It depends on its size, some of the parts that we've used in it, you know, how expensive those were for us to purchase, and then how long it has taken us to build. We don't really have a formal pricing strategy. We just kind of... Yeah, it's more of a formula that we use just to making sure that the people that we do target are able to purchase them and are able to enjoy them. And I guess the people that can purchase products at this price range must be really passionate about robots too, right? It, it seems that way, yeah. Yeah. We initially targeted was a, a totally d- different demographic than what we've come to understand as our as our robot uh, collectors, if you will. Initially, we were interested in, in targeting people like ourselves, you know, 20s and 30s who live in maybe downtown loft area that like unique art. And it ended up being at the older generation, um, you know, our parents and their friends, you know, those who have seen these pieces in their original form seem to have a big nostalgia um, feel. And so, you know, they are passionate about it and we appreciate them for it. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's good to see that our passion is also someone else's. Yeah, it takes a 50-50 split. There still are quite a few young people too, I think, who really like them for the vintage aspects and think that they're just kind of funky art to have in their home. When did you find the point that you targeted the older crowd? Like, When would you find out that, oh, this is actually a bitter market? Well, there's a department store here in Kansas City that came to us and they target a older crowd, um, a wealthier crowd, just a whole different group of people than what we thought. So we had a show with them and we sold out within, I don't know, just a few days. We gave them about 25 robots and just sold out in like nothing flat. So I think that was the turning point for us where we realized that these older people really like them too. And you, one robot is only made once, right? There's no duplicate. Right, yep, exactly. Yeah, and that's to keep it you know, unique and original and not to, you know, get into the mass production side of things. And do you ever get requests from client customers that say, oh, I want this robot or I want this one that was sold? Do you ever get that? That has happened a few times where we've sold one that someone had fallen in love with and they just, someone else beat them to the punch. But we have decided we will never reproduce. We like them to each be unique. You know, we give them each a name and a bio all to kind of preserve their uniqueness and make them special. Even if we wanted to, I don't think we would even consider it. (laughs) Yeah, so I see each robot has a bio. Uh, How do you guys come up with that? So just to let everyone know, there's kind of like a two, three sentence bios. I'll just read one out, just for example, okay? So I'll read Fink. Uh, Fink adores the periodic table of the elements and would like to be hard pressed to pick his favorite element out of the bunch. He enjoys reading, playing checkers, and has a problem with eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you guys come up with this? It's very creative. Uh, We have like this little notebook that we keep with us and we really just jot down all of these nerdy little things that we think of throughout the course of the day and jot them all down. And so later when we're building together, we'll kind of talk about what we think this robot would like, you know, what its hobbies might be. Whenever we're stumped, we kind of refer to the notebook and it's chock full of really great ideas. And we just kind of smash them all together and it seems to work. <laughs> and so in your customer base, you said there's kind of like the older generation, the younger. How would be how would the split be right now? Is it like 50-50? kind of 70 30 or i would say it's about 50 50 you know the opportunity for us to serve a younger generation is 
I think, more evident online. But the uh, studio uh, openings and the gallery openings allow us to have that older generation as well. And um, I do think it's uh, about even. That's I think that's really good for us. It gives us an opportunity to still maintain focus on both. I see. Yeah, and did you notice how online now there's a big retro movement in terms of like, I don't know if you see on Pinterest, like there's these uh, iPad tablets that are made out of wood, but they look like typewriters, all this stuff. Do you guys kind of see that wave? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've we've come in at a good time. Uh, we've seen a lot of the modern fixtures, you know, reverting back to the retro feel. And I think we, we fit well into that. We've seen an increase in um, interest based on that continuing movement towards the retro feel. And yeah, it's really interesting to see how things are sort of cyclical. They all seem to come back. <laughs> yeah. Especially in this age when you have Twitter, Facebook, everything, sometimes like a throwback just seems so refreshing yeah, in my view. Exactly. All right, and and so uh, I saw you guys have a sold robots page too, and there's like a ton of robots. So how does that help out your website? I think for us, it's just a really great way to kind of keep a portfolio of everything we've done in the past. And I would hope that people kind of look through those and fall in love with those and feel like they want to keep coming back to our website to see what new pieces we have that kind of remind them of some of their favorite old ones. And so we have fans who refer to those a lot. This just came in my mind. It may happen like 20 years from now, you know, someone will make like an iPad robot and we'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we'll be like wow, I remember when that came out and it was like the coolest thing. Yeah, we, we get some ideas from some of our close family members uh, asking us to make robots out of n- new items. And that's, it's tough for us to turn away just because, you know, they, they are pretty excited about it. But We really like the recycling aspect of taking older things from junkyards and scrapyards and also just the vintage feel of older things. So that's just where we um, have found ourselves, you know, playing in that area. And in in 20 years, you can send us your old iPads. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll make you a nerd bot. And my old MacBook, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So how does a junkyard work? How do you get parts? Do you just say, hey, I want to pick stuff up or I mean how does it work well I have uh, a very good negotiating tool and that's Angie that's (laughs) Angela when we go to a junkyard we go to this one and there are two older guys you know a father and son combo who just took to Angie Angela right away (laughs) and um, that's sort of given us a good entry point but you usually get a pretty good deal yeah (laughs) but you basically just walk around um, picking up everything that you're interested in and then at the end they'll figure out what type of metal it is and it's based on weight and then they'll usually knock some money off of that for our final total. <laughs> and especially if it's a vintage item, no one's really yeah. looking to pick up. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only woman to ever hang out at a scrapyard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so what are the first impressions people get when you tell them, hey, we make antique robots? Because it's very unique. So what are the kind of the key feedback you guys get? We always get the very first question that everyone always asks is, what do they do? <laughs> They're always expecting them to like, I don't know, clean a house or cook dinner or something. But our robots just sit there and are just something you look at, art pieces. <laughs> yeah, they get a smile on their face, uh, which is is good for us. It keeps us going and keeps our passion there. But a lot of intrigue and wonder. Yeah, exactly. Because when I look at the pictures, some of this stuff, I don't even know what it is. But I'm sure, you know, 20 years from now, if it was an iPad, I would, <laughs> I would totally buy one of these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the younger generation kind of probably doesn't hit with everyone, but I guess yeah. a certain subset of people. Sure. Yeah. And so how do you guys identify this younger subset of people since 
I'm sure they're all online. Where do you even find them? They actually found us, which has been a really great thing for us. We you know, had a, a couple of uh, websites that were um, you know, willing to post about us um, just through knowing them here in Kansas City. And that's sort of spread like wildfire. You know, we got posted about on Boing Boing mm-hmm. and... Um, a couple of other design technology websites or a lot of other people to repost and it sort of just spread that way. So luckily we've been able to be uh, communicating with uh, the younger generation through blogs, uh, social media, and a lot of that's been sort of thrust upon us, which is great. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned that when you went to one of the shows, you sold out real quick. And do you get pressure to, say, build robots faster than you guys are comfortable with? For the most part, we can kind of set our own pace. We sell primarily right now through our website. And so it kind of feels like the more we build, the more we sell. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird phenomenon that even if we don't have very many on our website, you know, then we don't sell very many. But when we have a lot on our website, we sell a lot. And so we kind of just set our own pace and update as frequently as we can. Really? Okay. And so how many robots do you guys make a year now? It's less than we like, but we... Oh boy, that's a tough question. Maybe 50? Yeah, maybe 50. You know, we, we have full-time jobs, and so that keeps us uh, busy, you know, 9 to 5 or 7 to 7. Trying to find the energy during the week is, I think, probably the toughest part. Right. And then with weekends, with family and friends, and, you know, trying to keep other things afloat. You know, we, we find the time, but it's not as much as we like. Right. Uh, but again, you know, we you know we'll have shows that we try to put on our calendar so that sort of gives us a deadline to work towards because we, we do want to be more productive. Um, and I think those shows and deadlines would um, allow us to that continue that forward momentum. I see. And how does like a robot exhibit or a show work? Um, here in Kansas City, we will work with various galleries to do um, some sort of show. We have a first Friday, the first Friday of every month where it's really pretty big here. I mean, there's probably 60 or 70 galleries even that participate and tons of people come out. We'll set up a few shows there. Um, And then our studio, we're down kind of in a different area of the city and we'll do an open studio just twice a year there and we get a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. And it's just like a, another art gallery opening. Um, we're allowed, we're able to bring in pillars and set up. And yeah, it's it's a very good art scene here in Kansas City. And do you find the foot traffic or online traffic? Which one kind of sells better? Uh, I'd say definitely the online traffic. Um, we enjoy the foot traffic because it's really fun for us to get to share our work with people actually in person and kind of meet them and see where all our robots are going. But I'd say for the most part, we, we sell online primarily. Yeah. And if that foot that foot traffic that does come to our studio, a lot of uh, a lot of people do want in order to make sure that you know they get a second look at it, so they go online, and we do get people who we've seen in our studio go back online to sort of make that final commitment. And um, so yeah, it seems to open up that that purchasing process. I guess it's a little tricky to make a decision without seeing the actual robot first. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you guys find that to be the case? Um, we've had some people. You know, sort of tell us, you know, oh, I just can't decide. And they'll call us and they'll just uh, be excited about it, but not 100% sure. They'll ask for some details. And that's one thing we're more than happy to give. Uh, people have, you know, an interest and they're wanting, you know, oh, I, how tall, like how tall is it compared to like a pitcher of milk or <laughs> the different things that they can sort of relate to. And, you know, we're more than happy to provide that. But it does, it's a unique item that, they're, you know, they're not, you know, purchasing a painting or they're not purchasing something that's you know uh, one or two dimensional it definitely 
is tough in certain instances. Yeah, because I guess some people may think, well, how big is this? Where do I want to put it in my house? And Sure. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell just looking at a picture. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah. Okay, and so let's talk about your website a little bit. Did you guys design this yourself? Because it's very, very beautifully designed. Your Shopify site. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am a graphic designer as my day job, so that works out really well for our business too. I designed it, and then I had a friend who was a coworker um, do all of the programming of it because I'm not quite as savvy in that arena. <laughs> And so I saw you guys use Google Checkout for your payments. I kind of just tested it. Why did you guys choose that instead of PayPal? That just gave us the best opportunity to do a, a couple of different things that we wanted to do. It allowed us to implement well into our website. And that was tips that we got from our web developer. Yeah, I think he had had some bad experiences with PayPal in the past. And he just recommended Google Checkout for um, based on our needs, what would work the best for us. I see. And so how do you guys ship the robots? Like, what's the kind of shipping cost someone could expect buying one of these? Uh, within the United States, it's anywhere from, you know, $15 to ship to, um, you know, 60 And that just depends on the size and the location to where they are to us. They are shipped in essentially a box that allows for, um, we use recycled um, like craft paper um, that's very rigid and bubble wrap and the different materials that you know allow to be secure internationally I think it's it ranges from a hundred dollars um, plus on the shipping so it yeah, varies a lot. kind of pricey yeah and so what happens if say like a customer accidentally dropped it like what would would you guys like, would, could they ship it back to you guys and fix it or? Yeah. We have had that happen, you know, sometimes in shipping, if it had a really rough ride, something, you know, could have happened, they'll ship it back and we'll give it a tune up. And then we've also had people who've purchased it and, you know, like, I think I can remember one where there were these little twin girls having a, a slumber party and they hit the uh, robot with a pillow accidentally on a pillow fight. And so they brought it in and we were able to make a repair for them. And you know, whenever someone does email or call, you know, that goes straight to me. And that's the great thing about just having Angela and myself is if we had someone taking these calls or we had someone building these for us, which we don't, you know, it wouldn't be, again, genuine. And so whenever someone does email in saying we got a problem, the instant I get that email, I try to make a call if they leave a phone number or I email them back. But it's it's something that I take pride in. Uh, anytime there is a problem, we, we try to rectify it as, as quickly as we can. I see. And do you guys ever feel sad when you ship out a robot since it's, you're, there's, a, there's only one robot of each kind, right? For the most part, we do okay. We Like the first robots that we built before we actually had a business, I think we built about 15 before we decided to start NerdBots and actually start selling them. And those first 15 were a little tough to see go because I think we kind of got emotionally attached to them. But ever since that point, we always know that we're building them and that they will eventually sell. So I don't think we get as emotionally attached nowadays. You know, we do have favorites, but um, usually we're just really happy and excited to see them go somewhere where somebody really wants them. Yeah, and I see on the blog there's uh, kind of like a travel blog for all the robots. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we just thought it would be really fun. Like, we love seeing where they're all being purchased from. And so we put a little pin on a Google map um, to represent where each one travels to. And then we encourage everyone who has purchased them to take pictures of them in their new environment, you know, to write stories about them and to send them all back in so that we can share them with everyone else and just kind of let the conversation keep going for those who have purchased them. And this also helps drive your traffic, I'm sure, too. Yeah. 
It does, After yeah. so many years, everyone posting pictures within their network, and I'm sure there's a big effect too. And so, have you guys always been on Shopify, or how did you guys choose the platform? Yeah, we've always been on Shopify. Again, that was sort of uh, a suggestion of our web developer, mm-hmm. and it's been good. We've sort of got become friends, if you will, with, with Shopify, and um, they've been great. Yeah, they've done a nice job of promoting us from time to time to, you know, posting about us on a blog or something. So we really love that. Nice. And so how has the platform changed since you guys first started? Um, is there any big changes that you've seen in the platform that have been really good? We've seen um, some more capabilities. I wish I could talk more about that, <laughs> but improvements on the shopping cart integration mm-hmm. and... I think for us, it's just been so easy to use. You know, we don't have to know a lot about, you know, web programming to be able to figure it out. It's really, the interface is super user-friendly. It's been great. And then they added the mobile app, which has been really great, too. Now we can, you know, be notified when we get an order. We can check it. We can ship it and do everything directly from our phones when we're waiting in the line at the the um, post office or at UPS. Yeah, or even when you're sleeping too. Make money when you're yes. sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, we'll wake up in the morning with good news. And we're like, oh yeah, we sold on. <laughs> yeah, that must be one of the best feelings in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. And so uh, what, are, what is probably, let's, this will be a little philosophical, but what's one thing you guys wish you knew when you started out? Boy, I know there are a couple things. One of which would be, you know, our process. Um, we have a pretty uh, defined process now on a multitude of different aspects of our business. Uh, that was something we had a tough time grasping. You know, the process to build the robots, the process to get merchandise in front of uh, businesses, the different pieces of just how to run a business. And luckily, you know, Kansas City has this foundation called the Kaufman Foundation, and they have an entrepreneurial class. Um, we we're lucky enough to engage in that. That helped us establish those those pieces, but in the very beginning, it was tough to sort of move in the correct direction. The class was great. We learned a lot, but I think you almost need to be able to get out into the real world and do some trial and error to really figure out exactly what you need to do. And so that just took a little while until we got comfortable kind of knowing what we're doing and now it's like second hat. <laughs> yeah, I see. And so a lot of entrepreneurs, they go through the roller coaster of emotions when they're building a new business. Do you guys go through that too? We do. We go through the, the excitement and the sort of not right now uh, mentality. You know, again, especially with our, our work that we do outside of NerdBots. We see our business almost like a little piece of us. You know, we put so much of ourselves into it and we're so passionate about it that, you know, we kind of, we care so much that when something goes wrong, you know, it really affects us. Like we get really disappointed. Um, and then we also feel really great when we have a show or when we make a sale, it's, you know. It's an awesome feeling. Yeah, or like little things that like customer feedback that really excites you, like emails, yeah. pictures, stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so do you have any advice for anyone that's looking to start out, maybe build their own physical product, kind of like yourselves? One thing that we've learned is that from putting so much of our own selves into this and making this product like something we're so passionate about, I think it really shines through to our customers, especially in something with art related. They really like to know the backstory of the artist um, and they kind of want to know the story behind the piece. And so I think just letting that, that really shine through is really important. Just yourself and put yourself into what you do yeah i, I think i agree with that because if it, if it was just some random person building robots not passionate about it i think 
It, it just wouldn't seem authentic. You, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah, and having that passion, um, again, like Angela said, really shines through. When you can be authentic and be genuine, hopefully you'll make your, your customers and clients happy. And they'll want to come back and they'll want to tell their friends. And, you know, that also works in the business-to-business aspect. You know, when we work with a company, we want to make sure they understand that, you know, not only are they working promote our products, but we want them to get the best quality and the best, you know, because that represents us and it represents who we are. So be passionate and take pride in what you do because it is a representation of of who you are and the work that you've put into it. Especially online now, whereas you remember 10 years ago when the internet first, 10, 15 years when the internet first came out, no one was really authentic, right? And you had all this kind of hypey spam type stuff, but now, you know, people can smell it like a mile away. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's one thing, you know, with you know interviews like this, we want people to know that, you know, this really is who we are. And we're not the type of people to, you know, do something. We're just looking to make a quick buck. You know, we still have our day job. You know, this is something that we're very passionate about. But unfortunately, it just it doesn't pay the bills yet. We hope that passion shows through and that we put our heart and souls into it. You know, we just happen to be nerds who <laughs> uh, know how to build sculpture robots. Yeah, I see. And so how does how does the dynamic work with two people now? Because I'm sure if it was one of you guys building this by yourself, it would be so much, it would be so much dip, more difficult emotionally. Right? I think it would. It's great that we're able to do this together because at least if it's going to take up so much of our time or at least together when we do it. But I think we feed off of each other too. You know, one person's excitement really kind of rubs off on the other person. And when we're getting ready to start a piece, it's, you know, it's a really fun process to collaborate and work together. I see. And so what are some challenges you guys are facing now, like going forward? Kind of what are the three big things you're trying to tackle right now? One major focus for us now is trying to, aside from just the robots themselves, figure out what other merchandise that we can be producing that would help, you know, be a little bit more profitable without us having to physically make each thing. So we do some items like t-shirts and posters, and we're kind of always trying to think about what other types of merchandise, you know, ties into what we're all about that we can also produce besides just the robots themselves. And that'll help us actually focus more on the robots um, and give us more opportunities to build maybe larger scale or a series of still individual robots, but still maybe a little bit more series based. And then I think another focus for us lately has been trying to get into more retail stores. And we do so much of our business online, but we also have some retailers across the country who purchase from us and then resell our robots in their stores. So we're looking for more of those types of opportunities as well. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. I'll let you guys off to dinner now if you guys haven't. Oh, well, I, I think we're we're getting about there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll send you a link once it's done. And thank you again so much. Yes, that's thank good. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. There, you'll find articles, case studies, and tools to help you run a successful online store. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.